to see all of you. Um, and as I said a minute or so ago, it's really nice to see some people I have not seen in a while. So, um, so welcome, welcome. Um, so let's 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 just get right into it, okay? So um, we're gonna sit for a bit, and um, then I'm going to talk a bit about practice. Um, tonight, I'm gonna share a text um, written by John Kabat-Zinn on um, what he calls selfing, the process by which the sense of self is constituted in consciousness, um, which is, I think, the core thing that we are practicing with when we sit. Um, I think uh, as part of the discussion, I'll read a little bit from the Heart Sutra, which is one of the major texts of um, Mahayana Buddhism. For those of you who don't know it, um, it'll be good for you to get sort of introduced to it if you've never heard about it or heard it. Um, and, um, and then my hope is that we'll talk a little bit about what these texts and my remarks bring up, questions, thoughts you might have. And then we'll, I would like us to be able to sit a little bit more at the end so that you can um, try these ideas out, you know, um, in your own practice. So um, the sitting that we're gonna start with, we'll have um, a few different sections. So I just wanna say a little bit more about what those sections are. Um, so we're gonna start with um, kind of our bread and butter practice, dual or three-pointed awareness. So where you're aware of either two anchors at the same time or three. Don't worry if you're new to meditation, don't quite kind of know what I'm talking about right now. You'll, you'll, you'll be led, uh, guided through it. But um, the basic idea is that you're not just following the breath, but you're following the breath plus something else like sounds, the environment um, for dual awareness. So two anchors at the same time. Um, or for those of you who feel comfortable with two anchors, you could try three. Um, so what I'll offer are the anchors of breath, sounds, environment, and the sensations in your hands. Um, the basic idea is that you know what we're trying to cultivate in the kind of practice that we do in this group is which is different from you know different groups different traditions different teachers have different you know sort of angles but um, for me and the style of meditation I practice the point is not um, single-minded concentration on something like the breath. The point is kind of an open awareness and basically um, enough concentration, but just enough to be present with your experience as it is. So it's important to have some concentration so that you don't like spin off into fantasy, get lost in thoughts constantly, but only enough to keep you grounded in the present and not so much concentration that you actually like 
tune out from your thoughts and don't, you know, basically don't even know what you're thinking about because you're so focused on something like the breath. Because actually, and this is something we're going to get into in the discussion part of tonight. Um, the real interesting action is in seeing what your thoughts and emotions are doing. So the last thing we actually want to do is not be aware of what they are. Um, so um, how can you be present enough so that we don't get lost in fantasy or planning or thoughts? Um, but not so much that we are not actually aware of what goes up to constitute the self. Um, we are engaged in the study of the self, um, but we study the self to see in a way deep into its nature, which will show us that it's not nearly as solid as we might ordinarily think, initially think. Um, so that it's actually um, not as solid, not as coherent, not as permanent, not as stable as we uh, tend to think before we enter the practice. Um, and not nearly as stable or coherent as a lot of us strive to feel about ourselves. Um, so we see through the self. And by seeing through the self, we can realize or experience our interconnectedness with the rest of the universe. Um, Dogen Zenji, the, the, the Zen teacher who brought Zen or uh, Chan Buddhism from China to Japan, he was a Japanese monk who uh, made the very dangerous crossing at that time to China from Japan, studied for years in Chinese temples, uh, realized awakening and brought what came to be known as Zen back to Japan. And the way Dogen Zenji puts what I just said much more pithily is to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. And to forget the self is to realize one's oneness with the 10,000 things or everything, which is just a 10,000, just like the numerical shorthand for everything, right? Um, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, I think that um, studying psychological content, thinking about what constitutes the ego is some kind of strange Western American add-on and even a kind of um, contamination of a pure traditional form of Buddhism, which isn't concerned with ego or psyche or subjectivity. But I think actually Dogen's lines make very clear that the study of the self, understanding deeply what makes up the self is part of um, Zen practice. Of course, there are a lot of different ways to do that. But um, so um, okay, so we're going to um, do two or three point awareness to start. Then we're gonna do just a few minutes of body scan where we're gonna like look, like bring our awareness to different parts of the body, feel um, just what there is to feel uh, in different areas of the body, which is actually a continuation of the study of the self because you know, um, we carry a lot of our deepest thoughts and emotions at a cellular level in our body, the way we hold our body, 
the place that we hold tension, this or that. So, um, so this is a continuation, a deepening of the study of the self. And then we're gonna try something for a few minutes, which is just open awareness practice, where I'm gonna invite you to give, give a try to not worrying about holding on to any particular anchors. You know, see if you can sort of maintain an awareness of the breath, sounds, environment, and if you like, parts of the body. But actually not focusing on any of them, not using them to hold your awareness, but just part of an open awareness where you just are present. And that'll be actually much more difficult um, precisely because it will be letting go of any particular method. But in the end, that's what we're up to. We're, we're using these techniques and methods to go beyond methods. Um, and it takes a while. So don't worry if you feel like this is not possible for you yet. It will be with time. But um, so for tonight, give it a try. See if you can just like, just be present. Just sit. You know, the classic way of talking about Zazen or Zen meditation is just sitting. And it's not actually like a catchy play on words. It's actually quite literally true. It's like, you just sit. There's nothing else to do. What else could you do when you're sitting but sitting? The problem, of course, is as soon as we sit down, we start thinking, right? That's why we have these anchors. Um, and so give it a try, letting those go. And then if you feel like, okay, I actually just, I'm just like, I'm lost and I'm thinking about this or that, then come back to an anchor or two for a bit and then let them go and see what it feels like, all right? That's gonna be the practice for tonight. Three different phases, all right? Two or three point awareness, body scan, and then open awareness practice. And then we're gonna go into some discussion. So I just wanna give you a heads up that it will have these phases and that each of the phases are just like, you know, think, think about testing them out, see how they feel. And if you ever feel like, you know what, I, I, I'm lost, this is not working, I'm just like lost and I'm just, I'm spinning off in a fantasy. Just come back to the breath and come back to maybe the sounds, the environment. It's always there for you. Don't worry about like just, you know, coming back home to them. And with time, maybe tonight, maybe in some future night, you'll be able to try these other sort of phases out. And, and get your get a feel for them. It's all a feel thing, right? So, and you might have it for a moment tonight. You might say, oh my God, I got it. And then that very thought will be like, oh wait, now I'm thinking, oh, you know, you, you get lost in thought again, okay? So it's just, that's how it is, all right? It's just how it is. It's like, it's not, there's, you don't get points for learning quickly, you know? <laughs> so we're not in a competition and we're not getting graded. So, okay. So um, please just get in a comfy position. And just make sure you're balanced. You know, you could even be lying down if that's what's best for your body right now. You could be resting, reclining on an easy chair. Just find a position that is comfortable and stable for you. Where you feel like the breath can move freely or as, you know, relatively freely in and out of the body. Because of course, a lot of us carry some residual tension in our breathing and you know that's just part of what it is for us to be alive and it's okay and then maybe to begin just let's take a few deep 
breaths to settle into this sitting and settle into the here and now. So please breathe in deeply through your nose, filling up your lungs, feeling your chest expand, your shoulders rise. And then exhale slowly through your slightly open mouth, drawing your exhalation out. And just take three or four more of those deep in-breaths through the nose and slow exhalations through the mouth. Just take one last deep in and out breath in this way. And now just let the breath come and go at its own rhythm, its own depth. You can continue breathing in and out through your slightly open mouth, I mean, in through your nose and out through your mouth, if that feels comfortable to you, or you could close your mouth and just breathe in and out through your nose. And as much as possible, try to release control of the breath after having done these very intentional deep in and out breaths. Now's the time just to let the breath find its own rhythm and pace. And that may very well be shallow. It may even be erratic and that's okay. Now as the breath just comes and goes, on its own in this way. To begin, let's open ourselves up to all the sounds in the environment around us. So let the breath do its thing, but don't worry about it. Don't worry about following it. Don't worry about focusing on it. Don't even, be, don't even worry about being aware of it for now. To begin, let your awareness settle on the sounds around you. Let your hearing be open. So that it's not listening for this or that sound. It's not worried about identifying sounds. But it's almost like it's just a satellite dish, just receiving all the sonic vibrations coming your way. The beautiful thing about this particular kind of awareness practice, this hearing, is that if you try too hard, you actually can't be open to all the sounds around you. So this kind of open hearing actually, in a way requires you to soften, become receptive, rather than actively trying to listen. Whenever thoughts carry away to fantasy, to thinking, 
just note that with as little judgment as possible. And gently just bring your awareness back to this open, receptive hearing. One image I like to use when talking about this practice is the image of like a martial artist surrounded by different people who might attack. For that person in the middle of this crowd of potential opponents, the only way to know where an attack might come from is to be totally open, listening in this receptive way. It's a sound going to come from behind or above or to your left or to your right. You can't know in advance. So actually the only way to be ready is to be totally receptive in this wide open way. It's a feel thing. See if you can settle into this space of receptive hearing. Now, as you listen in this way, as you hear in this way, it's very likely that while you're hearing, you're also feeling your body, you're feeling sensations in your body, and you're probably even feeling some sensations associated with the breath. Precisely because you need to be so open and soft and receptive to listen in this way, it means you're also probably receiving sensations from the belly and chest, and from other parts of the body. So as you continue listening openly, let part of your awareness also attend to the sensations of the breath. And you can follow the breath in the belly, the rise and fall of the chest, or the sensations produced by the passage of air in your nose. Feel free to pick any one or even all those spots. So part of your awareness is attending consciously to your breathing and the sensations produced by your breathing while you also remain open to sounds. Give that a try for a bit. If you feel like it's hard maintaining awareness on two anchors at the same time, breath and sounds, then gently move back and forth between them, listening for a bit, following the breath for a bit, and maybe once in a while seeing if you can hold both in awareness simultaneously. But it's okay if right now it feels hard to hold both at the same time. It will come with time, and it's not something to force.
If a thought or emotion pulls you away from breath and sounds, just notice what it is that's pulled you away. What kind of thought or what kind of emotion? You can just wordlessly take note or you could even label it saying planning or fear or whatever it may be, just as a way of acknowledging it. And then gently come back to the dual anchors of breath and sounds. Keep in mind that this is not about slowing our thoughts down and definitely not about stopping our thoughts. Let the mind, let your emotions do their thing. Note what they do. And just use these anchors of breath and sounds as a way of being aware of what the mind and heart are doing without being carried away by them. It's not about quieting or stopping our thoughts, but a method to be more clearly aware of what they're doing. Your thinking may very well settle down, but it's not the point. So for those of you who are having you know, some difficulty following two anchors at once, I would suggest you just stay with these two and don't try to add anything else. But for those of you who feel like you have a good handle on this dual awareness practice, try including in your awareness a part of your body. I would suggest your hands, but it can be any part of the body. It could even be the feel of the air on your skin, could be the contact that your legs are making with the ground. Just some part of the body. I'm going to use my hands, but feel free to use any part of the body that feels, you know, natural and good to you. I wouldn't be surprised if some of you are having thoughts of frustration or self-judgment. Perhaps you feel like you're not doing this right or well enough, or why can't you focus? Let me just remind you that those are wonderful thoughts to label. 
any thought you have about how you are doing, good or bad, just note it. Note how the thought sounds, note its tone of voice. Perhaps it reminds you of a parent or another authority figure. And then note how that thought makes you feel in your body because most thoughts that have any juice to them have some effect on the body. They create tension or some other kind of sensation somewhere in the body. And it'd be interesting to see what these thoughts do to your body. And then once you note it, just come back to the anchors. So we're now going to segue into a very, very brief and very partial body scan. Tonight, just focusing on the head and the neck. Um, so for those of you who've never done a body scan, I'm just going to direct your awareness to different parts of the body. And all that you are being asked to do is be aware of the sensations that you feel in that part of the body. That's it. You're not trying to relax them. You're not trying to do anything to whatever sensations you feel. Just notice. So please begin by bringing your awareness to the very top of your head. How does the scalp up there feel? The skin, the muscles just underneath the skin. Do you feel any tension? any holding. And here is elsewhere you may feel sensations that you actually can't figure out the right words for. How would you describe it? Well, you don't have to. Just feel the sensations. No need to find a label for them. And notice how those sensations change, if they do, as your awareness hangs out with them. Even the kind of, you know, firmest block of tension, if you really just hang out with it and are aware of it for a while, you'll notice some variation. Oh, it's a little tighter here. Oh wait, there it's a little pulsing or tingly over there or this kind of tightness is different from the tightness over there. And oh yeah, it's softening a little bit around the edges. Just notice all the variation, the texture, and any alterations that you may sense over time. Now bring your awareness down to your forehead and feel what sensations there are in these muscles that we furrow when we're anxious or worried. 
sometimes just by bringing awareness to a part of the body that is holding some tension, it softens. Like can happen when you bring awareness to the shoulders that you realize you've raised or hunched unnecessarily. Just knowing, noticing that you have can allow those shoulders to, to relax, to soften. And that may happen with different parts of the body that we scan. So if your forehead area softens as you bring awareness to it, let the tension go. But if holding or tension remains, try not to push it away. Rather, soften your awareness around the tension you feel. See if you can let the tension float within a bigger awareness that is itself soft and open. This isn't about relaxing the body, but rather about attending to it, studying it. Now bring awareness, please, to your eyes and the soft tissue around your eyes. What sensations do you feel in and around your eyes? Now, please bring your awareness to your jaw muscles, the muscles located where your upper and lower jaw bones connect. Don't be surprised if you find a lot of holding or tension here. It's a place many of us carry tension, not just throughout the day, but even at night. Some of us grinding our teeth at night. So be gentle as you explore your jaw muscles. You might, you might find achiness, soreness, pain. Please be soft with the kind of awareness you bring to these muscles. Now let your awareness move to your teeth, just to see if your teeth are pressing against each other. Or are they spaced apart a bit? And then bring your awareness to your tongue and begin by just sensing how the tongue is situated in your mouth cavity. Is it pressed up against the top of the mouth or against the back of your teeth? Are you holding any tension in the tip or the big middle part of the tongue? 
What sensations can you feel on the surface of the tongue? First, the upper surface, your taste buds are. And then how about on the lower part of your tongue? Do you feel any tension in the back end of the tongue where the tongue disappears down the throat? Now let's follow your awareness down into the throat area and just feel what sensations there are, you know, around the vocal cords, around your Adam's apple, just in the whole sort of front throat area. What do you feel there? The last part of the body we're going to scan are your lips. Please bring your awareness to your lips and just feel the sensations there. And as always, see how those sensations may shift and alter and change as you attend to them with awareness. For the last few minutes of this sitting, which will wrap up soon, I'd like you to try just sitting just being here. Be aware of the sounds around you, the sensations of the body and of the breath. Notice when thoughts come, when emotions arise. Just notice whatever comes into awareness. And as long as you're feeling the body, feeling the breath, hearing what's going on around you. You're here. You're present. See how it feels to try just being present without latching on to any particular anchors. If you feel the mind getting totally pulled away, if you feel like you are having trouble staying present, then you can reestablish presence by using two or three anchors for a few breaths. 
and then try letting go again. You're just here, just watching, just observing what's happening. Noting the way awareness is pulled here, then there. So the official part of the sitting is now over. Feel free to move your fingers, toes, get comfy. But I actually encourage you to see if you can keep this open awareness um, through the rest of the evening, see how it feels to just um, have this kind of open, present awareness, um, even when you aren't sitting, so to speak. Um, I'll begin remarks in just a bit. Okay. So, um, I wanted to share a text by John Kabat-Zinn, which I actually don't know where it comes from. Um, I got it from the service book at Zen Center San Diego. Um, so they just have a bunch of short readings of our practice that they will use during their services. And I just, um, so that's where I got this one. I'm sure I could find it, but, um, and I will, I, I want, people to feel free to listen in a very open way and not worry about holding on to what they hear. So I'm going to um, post this text and any text I happen to mention tonight on the, the website, the blog. So um, for those of you who are um, listening later on the podcast, it's the Williamstown Zen Group. If you just Google Williamstown Zen Group, you'll come to the, to the blog and I'll just have... Um, PDFs of whatever readings I happen to talk about tonight up there. So um, let me just read it and um, we'll chat about it a bit, okay? So it's called selfing. Selfing is the inevitable and incorrigible tendency to construct out of almost everything and every situation an I a me, a mine, and then to operate in the world from that limited perspective, which is mostly fantasy, 
and defense. Hardly a moment passes that this doesn't happen, but is so much a part of the fabric of our world that it goes completely unnoticed, much as the proverbial fish has no knowledge of water, so thoroughly is it immersed in it. Out of virtually any and every moment in experience, our thinking mind constructs my moment, my experience, my child, my hunger, my desire, my opinion, my problem. If you observe this process of selfing with sustained attention and inquiry, you will see that what we call the self is really a construct of our own mind and hardly a permanent one either. If you look deeply for a stable, indivisible self, for the core you that underlies your experience, you're not likely to find it other than in more thinking. You might say you are your name, but that is not quite accurate. Your name is just a label. The same is true of your age, your gender, your opinions, and so on. None is fundamental to who you are. When you inquire in this way as deeply as you can into who you are or what you are, you're almost sure to find that there is no solid place to land. If you ask, who is the I who is asking who I am? Ultimately, you come to, I don't know. The I just appears as a construct, which is known by its attributes, none of which taken singly or together really makes up the whole of the person. Moreover, the I construct has a tendency continually to dissolve and reconstruct itself virtually moment by moment. Buddhists might say that this is because there is no absolute separate self in the first place, just the process of continual self-construction or selfing. Yet no self does not mean a being a nobody. What it means is that everything is interdependent, that there is no isolated independent core you. You're only you in relationship to all the other forces and events in the world, including your parents, your childhood, your thoughts and feelings, outside events, time, and so on. Moreover, you are already a somebody, no matter what. You are who you already are. But who you are is not your name, your age, your childhood, your beliefs, your fears. They are part of it, but not the whole. So um, I thought, you know, this is a, very good, succinct account, as far as it goes, of, I think, the Buddhist way of thinking about the self as a construct. Um, and, um, and so I just want to share it as a starting point for discussion tonight. Um, I think you can already see how the elements out of which we construct moment by moment this sense of self um, is what we are examining when we sit, right? Um, now, I think I said, I said this is as good and this is good as far as it goes, because I think there are certain, not things I disagree with, but there are certain, I don't know, I think um, 
um, things this account suggests that um, are potentially misleading. Or, hmm, I don't know, right? Maybe that's not quite the right way of putting it. But anyway, I want to supplement what Kabat-Zinn is saying. So I don't disagree exactly with what he's saying. Um, but I think there are things that are worth adding to it that could be very helpful. Um, so one of the first things I want to add, which those of you who are regulars on Tuesday night won't be surprised to hear, uh, is that I think this is a pretty intellectual and cerebral sounding account of the self. It's like just a bunch of thoughts that float through the mind out of which we construct a sense of self. Um, and, um, and again, that's not inaccurate, but I think that doesn't do justice um, to the way we experience selfing, which doesn't feel intellectual at all. Uh, it feels very, very visceral, um, sticky, embodied, right? So when we identify with particular thoughts, the kind of thoughts that we like to think of as us, as me, right? In general, those thoughts will have um, not just the kind of intellectual content like, oh yeah, I am this or that kind of person, but some kind of bodily corollary, some way in which the body is activated um, when we feel invested in that particular thought. Um, so such that even when we can hear or see clearly the thought that we are invested in, just seeing it doesn't seem to do anything to alleviate our investment in it. Because really where it has its hooks in us is in the body. Um, Joko Beck talked about Zen meditation um, as being viscerally physical. She called it the visceral physicality of meditation. Um, and what I'm getting at, I think, is what Joko Beck was trying to get at too, which is when we sit, it's not just a process of labeling thoughts and seeing, oh, I believe this, I care about that, right? It's mostly seeing a thought or maybe not even being able to see it clearly and feeling some tension or pattern of tension in the body, which shows, or which is the kind of index of how deeply we believe that thought, you know? Like, I shouldn't have done that. I'm a bad person with the kind of lead ball in the stomach, right? Or the constriction in the throat such that we have, feel like we have trouble breathing, right? Or the heart rate that goes out of control. Um, or the kind of tension that we realize we're holding in our fist you know, or in our jaw muscles. So um, I, I think Kabat-Zinn knows this. It's not that he doesn't know this. I, I just, I mean, one of the reasons he is such a big proponent of body scans because he knows how important working on the body is. So I'm not saying this is something Kabat-Zinn doesn't know, but it's something that this account, I think, doesn't do quite justice to. And I want to make sure that... Um, to, to draw that out, which is the deeply embodied um, 
quality of this sense of self that is not just a mental construct, but one that has its hooks in us at the level of our body. And so a huge part of our practice is going to be working with how the body is activated by the thoughts that we believe. And there may actually be ways in which we feel in the body certain investments, certain ego commitments that we can't even hear at the level of thought. Like we may feel an incredible tightness and think it's just like muscle soreness or something. I don't know what's going on with my body. Or like, why is my back hurt so much all the time, right? And then it may actually be like months or years later, we realize it's connected to some kind of deep shame or fear or something else that will emerge with practice over time. I would actually say that for a lot of people, um, the experience doesn't go from thought to body, but they experience the body having all of these kind of tensions and knots for a while think they're just stressed or tense in some kind of way that you could just relax like maybe you go to get massages or chiropractic work or this or that right thinking that's going to do it but it doesn't because what's really kind of moment by moment perpetuating that tension maintaining that tension are the thoughts that you can't yet quite hear clearly can't yet quite see clearly and so the practice has to be two-pronged working with the body, examining very intimately, with great granularity, how the body is doing, what is holding, and seeing how it's connected to thoughts, and vice versa. Sometimes you feel the body more clearly, sometimes you hear the thoughts more clearly, and sometimes you're lucky and see both simultaneously. Over time, um, being with the bodily component of thoughts helps us loosen our grip on the thoughts as well. Um, part of the problem is that I think a lot of the deepest ego thoughts that we believe in, deepest, be, deep, deepest beliefs we have about ourselves, what we're really working with when we sit is not actually um, the tension or the not created by the thought, but actually a lot of aversion around, a lot of resistance around that, that, uh, that whatever the thought is doing to our body. So we'll hold attention, not like how it makes us feel, and then mostly experience just the resistance or tension around it. And so it requires a soft touch, requires time for us to first work with all the resistance we have, to not even want to get in close to discomfort that lies underneath the resistance and then getting to that discomfort and seeing how it might be connected to deep sort of ego scripts that we are slowly need to unpack. And as we study all that, our investment in those thoughts, those aspects of ourselves soften and we can start to see the construct like nature of the self that Kabat-Zinn is talking about. But what makes it so much harder than it sounds in Kabat-Zinn's account is it's not just an intellectual process. Meditation is not an intellectual practice. It is a deeply embodied practice. And some of the hardest work is at the level of the body. And it entails dealing with tolerating and accepting levels of discomfort, which are shouting at us, stop, 
go away. Don't go deeper. You don't want to go here. This is not good for you. And then you can start to see what lies underneath them. But it takes time. It takes delicacy. It cannot be rushed. Um, and if you force it, it can actually sort of exacerbate the holding or the knots that you're working with, you know. Um, so um, I don't know if that was clear enough or not. Um, I think um, it's. I think for some of you, it may seem self-evident what I was just talking about because you 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 tasted it, you experienced it, you know what I'm talking about from a first person point of view. Um, for others, especially those of you who are newer to meditation practice, it may seem really strange what I'm talking about. Um, and I think all I can say for to those of you who may not be quite understanding where I'm coming from is that discussions of practice are interesting. It's like, you can only understand as much as you are ready to understand at a given time. Practice will take you to a place where you can understand more, but you need the experience to support the deeper understanding. So um, it takes time to see this stuff. But when you, um, I think, you know, Yeah, I think one of the key things that I will say for those of you who may be hearing this and saying, wow, this sounds really like heavy and like not pleasant, um, is that one of the things, this is actually, this is something that I think for all of you, it'd be a really interesting experiment with. It's like, when you notice that you are believing or invested in a thought, you know, like, you know, when, when Kabat Zinn says, like, my experience, my child, my hunger, my desire, my opinion, my problem. When you, whether you're sitting on the cushion or just in regular life, noticing that, oh, yeah, I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about something that I really, that this is me. Attend to the quality of your awareness at that time. How does your mind your awareness feel. What I would, what I think you will discover if you, if you don't know what I'm talking about is that you'll sense that when you think about you, everything shrinks down. Awareness becomes smaller. When you see your thoughts clearly as thoughts, when you see, oh, I'm having this thought that I believe about me or about my relationship with my parents or my relationship with this or that, you know, activity. When you can see that more clearly, already immediately more space will appear. When those thoughts no longer have the ability to hook you so that you believe them to be the truth about who you are, you will experience even more spaciousness. So it's not somehow that there is some virtue in just seeing these thoughts for what they are as if like, you know, 
our egos, our puzzles, our problems that we need to work on. The point is that through this practice lies freedom and spaciousness. When you can see this selfing process for what it is, as just this constant forming and unforming and alteration of this thing that we think of as ourself, which is all process, no solid substance, it's like you can breathe freely for the first time in your life. It's like suddenly you can swim freely like a fish in water. Um, versus when you are deeply invested in these pictures of yourself, in these thoughts about yourself, constriction is a sign of that. That's why you hear words like knots or tensions or holding used to describe the place in the body where these thoughts are harbored because they tighten things down. They tighten your universe down your mind down, your experience of the moment down. And awareness opens that up. So it's a gift that you can give yourself and it radically transforms how you can relate to activities in your life and other people in your life. Because instead of interacting with them as this tight, narrow self, worried about what its investments are, what its beliefs, its suffering is. It can respond to others openly with generosity and love. So I want to connect the kind of nitty gritty and somewhat grind-like sound of the practice, which I can imagine somebody saying, wait a second, this is not what I mean, you know, with this broader horizon, which the practice opens up. That's what this is about. It's about seeing through the self and seeing how we are way bigger than the narrow self that we come to practice identified with. Um, okay, so that was um, a lot, both a lot and I worry not clear, but let me, let me open the floor for questions or remarks, especially, I think especially questions because I want to make sure that there are not things that I've said that were like so opaque and puzzling that you're like, wait, what the hell was he getting at? Um, so um, are there any questions? And by the way, um, I can't see everyone. We have too many people on the call for me to see everyone. So please just unmute and speak up if you have something you'd like to ask or say. Uh, I Hi, Sylvia. Hi, Gurney, how are you? Um, this, this is a tough one. Um, I totally uh, relate to when you, when your thought goes to yourself, you constrict and, and actually I think it's a, it's a form of uh, self-defense. You, you kind of like a turtle, you go back into your shell and you cover your head and, and there's this tightness feeling. And, and I, I really do feel like when you can see that you are not necessarily your thought that you can be more open. You are also making yourself so vulnerable. So how do you live with that vulnerability? How do you go forward 
with that. Um, with that. Um, so you're right. So yes, I, I know exactly what you're saying. Um, I think there, one of the effects of this practice, practice, you know, authentic practices, I think um, periods which can go on for a while. It's not, it's not always. Okay. So it's not, it's not permanent, but phases where you feel exposed raw, right? Because you are not um, partaking in the defense structures that used to make you feel shielded from whatever it is that you have found threatening or scary. By the way, this is the reason why you don't want to force working on these knots, because actually most of the deepest knots are defense structures. And let me remind you, probably formed in early childhood to protect you. So nice payback, right? The things like little aspects of yourself that were looking out for you saying, okay, now I'm done with you. You're not, you're not, you're, you're not helpful to me anymore. Get out of here. You know? Um, so like for me, hypervigilance, you know, um, which as I said in other Tuesday evening sessions, like makes me actually like effective as a teacher, but in this perverse way, right? Because I'm so super vigilant. I can see, like I can track emotions in the room very, very well because I learned very young that was conducive to my own safety, right? Um, and so part of the practice is learning not to relate to the environment in that way, which makes me feel very, very vulnerable. Okay, so my answer to that, Sylvia, is I think um, that vulnerability is preferable to what it feels like to live in an iron cage. What is the alternative? I mean, I just want to put it really starkly. Mm-hmm. Like, do you want to live locked away in your own psychic cage, which may be safe, right? Feel safe to you, but is cut off from life and others? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to be open if part of what being open is, is feeling vulnerable? So it's not about like, oh, no, no, it's going to be okay. It's going to only last for this long and you'll get through it. You know, I think, I think really that the price needs to be put very clearly. Like we will not do this practice if we have not hit bottom in some way and said, I do not want to live a false life anymore. That is not life. So I would rather be vulnerable, feel raw, but be alive with reality life as it is. And then the vulnerability becomes a gift. And once you do that, and this is what I didn't want to give you earlier, it's like, it opens, it changes. That vulnerability, I mean, because what starts to become unleashed is deep, infinite wells of both love, a sense of connectedness, generosity, gratitude. When you're not so worried about yourself, naturally you start thinking about others. So you're not actually thinking vulnerability is from the perspective of the ego that's giving up its shield, right? That's who's the, the voice that's speaking about vulnerability is the voice of the ego. They say, wait, wait, what about, are you, wait, what are you asking me to do? But when you actually, that softens complete. You're not even, it's like, yeah, maybe sometimes you're vulnerable, but actually like you're just too busy caring about others and, 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 and loving, right? And that, that, that the feeling of that. So, but I think the more direct answer that I, I want to stick with is the one about when are we ready to live? 
you know, we've been living substitute lives and we deserve more. I think the sad thing is like, as long as we have games, we can still play that we think will work for us. We're probably going to play them. You know, it's like, ultimately, this is a very, very hard path, you know? Um, and it's like, I think different people have different kinds of bottoms you know, where they say, this isn't worth it. I'd rather, I'd rather risk everything, be totally exposed than live this way because this is not worth living this way. But different people at different points where they reach that. Um, but I think everyone has to at some point. I think it's not an accident that a lot of the great Zen masters lost parents very early. You know, I think like, um, you know, they talk about great doubt leads to great awakening. I think great suffering is what leads to great doubt. Is there anything else? that people would like to ask about. We, we're gonna hover in this don't area for for a next little while. So, um, but I think, um, yeah, I think, I, I think I'm realizing that I wanted this group to veer to more towards, um, I don't know. I don't know, there's something about like, I think, yeah this is getting, there's some stuff that I was, I shied away from talking about that much in the first year or so that I taught this class. And I think I, I want to go more into that area where I think like the real, um, real practices, which is not always easy, but I think it's actually like, it's what people want if they really want this, you know, we're not looking for just calm. We're looking for something deeper. I just wanted to acknowledge you, Sylvia, for your question, because it really got at the heart of some of the things that we might experience, especially that word vulnerability, and then Bernie taking us further with that. So that was a really helpful question. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Mary. Okay. So, um, it's good for tonight. Um, yeah, thank you, Sylvia. That was, that was really, I think that helped get us to the heart of the matter. I really appreciate that question. Thank you. Um, so I'm happy to hang for a bit if anyone has any questions like to ask, but, um, for the sake of time, and I don't, I want people to not feel like these will drag on, you know, too long. Um, I think this would be a good moment.
to to end the evening. Um, but um, I did bring up a lot, and not all of it. There's some loose ends, and some of it's kind of heavy. So if you have something you want to ask about, please do stay. I'm very very happy to stay and talk. Okay, all right. Um, take care, everyone. I'll see you next week.